Here we are again, Ramdas, here and now, and I'm Raghu. I'm going to present a talk from Ramdas. Uh, it's from 1999, and it's part of a talk that uh, focuses on awareness, which is, uh, if you've been listening to my Mind Rolling podcast, we've been doing a lot of chatting with different people, thought leaders and teachers around uh bringing to bear awareness and what that is and how it can help us uh, in the day-to-day lives that we lead, busy, busy ones too. So, uh, well, I'm going to get to that in a second. But before that, uh, a couple of reminders. Of course, uh, please do check out 1440.org, 1440 Multiversity, as you've heard on the... uh, the announcement, they are a major supporter of ours and have been for some time now, and uh, they have all those fantastic workshops. So go check out, go to 1440.org and check it out. And uh, I also want to recommend you check out a new book that Love, Serve, Remember Foundation has published. It's uh, actually coming out in a couple, three weeks. But uh, it's called Changing Lenses, and it's Ramdas at his best telling those great stories. If you've ever listened to any of his talks over the decades, there's always one of those wonderful uh, teaching stories or personal experience stories that uh, elucidate something or other and ring a bell for us. Uh, Changing Lenses. There's a bunch of stories in there. There's like... um, uh, classics and rarities, and you go to the rarities, and boy, there's stories I I didn't hear. Okay, that's miraculous if I hadn't heard it. Uh, not really, but uh, changing lenses, go to ramdas.org, just uh, click on the banner and take you to the page. You can pre-order and get a nice little discount. There you go on that. Now, um, something I don't do a lot of, but I did a little of, I th- believe, not too earlier this year. We have that wonderful collaboration between East Forest and Ramdas. East Forest, uh, the name of a, a band name of a wonderful uh, musician, Trevor Oswalt, and he went and interviewed Ramdas last summer and came up with fantastic material and content which he uh, wove into these beautiful soundscapes and and songs really they're they're more songs than soundscapes uh and uh the so it's being we're releasing it or he is we are uh every quarter and the full album release will be towards the end of august this year 2019 and uh i want to play a track like i said i have i don't do a lot of that but uh this is appropriate. So uh, take a listen here to a track called, and this is uh, just released a week ago, and it's called uh, amongst, I think, what, three or four tracks being released every quarter, and this one's called We Are Truth. Manifestation of the one. 
Okay, I hope you enjoyed. I really love that song, and uh, it's got it's got a hooky vibe to it. And never mind the words that that Ramdas is expressing, the wisdom that's coming out. It's quite a great combination, ain't it? Okay. Uh, next on the agenda is this retreat that I was talking about earlier. On a, uh, that Ramdas talks a lot about awareness and about getting a perspective around uh, consciousness of the spiritual dimensions so that we can uh, look at our life stuff from a different, uh, from a perspective that's much more wholesome, shall we say. Um, so he does this great little meditation here. It's, it's like maybe not that formal of a meditation, but, uh, and we should probably just cut out this part of it and put it on our wonderful Heart Mind app, by the way, everybody that's out there. Uh, you can go to iTunes and pick that up. One word, Heart Mind. It's got all kinds of meditations. You can hear all these podcasts, the whole Be Here Now Network podcast uh, lineup. It's fantastic. So he talks in here and he leaves this little meditation. It's about the sky as awareness. The sky is awareness, and the clouds are the concepts of who we think we are. Yeah. And that ba- basically uh, is what's called in Buddhism Dzogchen, which is a uh, particular practice, and the master of Dzogchen in my mind, and someone who I love a lot. And again, if you listen to Mind Rolling, you'll, uh, there's a lot of references to him over the years that I've been doing that. And it's uh, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, and we'll have links to his books on, on the show notes here and, and all. Uh, but uh, he was a real siddha. He died in 1991. Um, Dalai Lama took teachings from him. That's how far out he is. And so, um, so this whole image, th- this would really struck me, this whole image of the sky as a, uh, an analogy for awareness and, um, and Ram Dass talks about when I look at the phenomenon that arise, I'm looking at the projections of my own karma. I'm looking at a movie that's being projected and that would be on this clear screen of awareness being, and the image is the sky, and the clouds that come are these projections. And, um, and here's what Dilgo Kensi has to say. I just was far out how, how uh, I guess Ramdas might, uh, probably knew who Dilgo Kensi was. I don't know if he took teachings from him when he was alive, I don't remember. But here's Dilgo Kensi, your view should be as high and vast as the sky. Pure awareness, once it manifests within the mind's empty nature, can no longer be obscured by negative emotions, which become its ornaments instead. I love that. 
the changeless state of the realization of the view. And, okay, uh, that's a toughie, realization of the view. Uh, would in, This is my interpretation, but the realization of the view would be the realization of gone beyond subject and object. So uh, reality would be realization of the view. is not something that comes into existence. So the changeless state of the realization of the view is not something that comes into existence, remains, or ceases. Within it, awareness observes the movement of thoughts like a serene old man watching children at play. Confused thoughts cannot affect pure awareness any more than a sword can pierce the sky. He he is a po- he was a poet as well, by the way. So, um, yeah, that's the essence of Dzogchen, and uh, the the um, what was this other thing? Oh, Ramdas said, "Out of emptiness arises compassion." So, and that was another thing that was really uh, struck me. Because uh, I found this interview uh, done with Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche uh, by uh, a man who was the uh, Canadian and ambassador, Canadian ambassador to India, uh, James George, who this, did this interview before he died. Must have been late uh, around 1990, I guess. I think it was just before. It was when he came over and he administrated over the. Uh, 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 Trungpa Rinpoche had died and he came to um, take care of uh, the cremation and so on and so forth. And so James George, who I did meet, and I have that other story of meeting Kala Rinpoche with him and Maharaji had told me there was all this huge miraculous thing that happened. So it it all, the dots connected up. It was unbelievable. Um, so anyhow, this so he asks. So if if you teach, as I understand that there is no self, that's the Buddhist thing. There is no self. So what is there that can return? Either as a Rinpoche or a Tulko, or in the case of ordinary beings who are reborn, what's the nature of the self that can return? And he said, Dilgo Kensi said, there's not been and will not be any such quote unquote self or substantial entity which clings or is attached to one thing after another. So that's what the no self is. That, that's clear, okay? There's no nothing. We are not that thing that clings or, attach, or is attached to one thing after another. Well, and if you were to ask what then is manifest, I would say that from the nature of emptiness, great compassion manifests. Right? That's just what Ramdas said in this thing. Out of emptiness arises compassion. Out of compassion, these enlightened beings manifest in response to the needs of beings. They have nothing on their, they do not need anything on their own. They only come in that, uh, to uh, relieve suffering. And then, last but not least, I, I found this from Dilgo Kensi. And here's the question, as regards from uh, James George, in regards the real nature, in regards to the real nature of the self, One's experience of awareness, especially at moments, and he's talking about himself, when he's more or less empty of thoughts and, and bringing body, speech, and mind together, as Dilgo Kensi has taught, there seems to be something behind it all that is an entity, that is not forever changing. Logically, a doctrine of impermanence means 
no self can exist. Logically, a doctrine of impermanence means no self can exist. That's tough in itself. <laughs> is the question, but that isn't sometimes. But isn't that sometimes contradicted by our experience? Okay, so here's what Dilgo Kenshi, and this is the best explanation I ever read around no Buddhist no self, or or the entity of a soul, Atma. Yes, there there is a state which is beyond any concepts or thoughts, and which is inconceivable. We cannot conceive of it. Its nature is void and its expression is compassion. And when you said nature is void, void of opposites, void of polarity, void of subject-object, and its expression is compassion. And when that great compassion manifests in response to the needs of beings, there is, at the relative level, change and impermanence. But there is a state beyond the very idea of change or permanence. If we could reach that level in that state, we would find the quote-unquote self quite different from the idea we have now of, say, Atman, individual soul. The absolute truth is is totally beyond any kind of concept and elaboration such as existing and non-existing, permanent and impermanence, and so on. So in a way, we could speak of a quote-unquote great permanence as a metaphor to indicate the immutability of the absolute truth, but in no way should this be understood as a permanent entity which could be labeled as quote-unquote self, quote-unquote, self or atman and as this would again be falling into limiting conditions. It is unnecessary to postulate the existence of a self as the absolute nature beyond all concepts. Limiting limiting concepts and views such as eternalism and nihilism are the very root of delusion. So basically you can't talk about this shit. That's what it says. (laughs) It's no, it's ineffable. There's no way, and this whole thing around self. I mean, that's clear. Huh? The self that uh, is caught in polarities in subject and object that, that we identify with and think maybe that's what's going to be transmigrating through uh, incarnation to incarnation is illusion. Amazing stuff. Good stuff to think about and. Uh, Enjoy this. Uh, it's kind of, the meditation that Ramdas does around the sky is really cool, and uh, and he's his usual funny, humorous self throughout the talk. And this is Ramdas here and now on the Be Here Now Network. Go to beherenownetwork.com and you'll see a host of fabulous teachers, thought leaders. We're bringing on some new folks too. Uh, in the next weeks, which you'll get an announcement. Go, go sign up on Be Here Now Network, by the way, and get a, a newsletter that kind of really points to some of the great stuff, podcasts that are up on there. And uh, we shall see you again. Good afternoon. Um, I'm sitting close to the post so I won't hurt your view. (laughs) 
as we heard this morning, we're all here for such a, uh, a rich set of reasons we find ourselves at this moment. And um, part of what we have to, we can explore this week is learning to trust one's own intuitive heart. And I'm planning in these times I have with you to really just hang out and um, do it in a very relaxed and easy manner. Um, I'm not going to uh, try to entertain you or to try to give you a balanced diet of this and that because you have such an incredible rich offering here this week of ways to explore your consciousness and your senses and so on. But I do want to encourage you to trust your own heart. And uh, if we're going along hanging out and you just realize you'd rather be at the beach, I really wish you would respect yourself enough to get up and go to the beach. Because um, a little goes a long way. And, um, and I think we should be together in whatever, in our truth, whatever truth we can muster. I thought about how, um, Usually what happens is I prepare an outline of things I'm going to teach. And then because I put so much work into it, I, it becomes a thing. It becomes real. And then every time I deviate from it, I feel guilty. It's like getting rid of your old thoughts. You thought it, therefore you must be it. And you're no longer it, but it's hard to let go. So usually when I um, teach, I prepare by giving a, um, an initial, what you'd call a Dharma wrap. Those of you that have been in enough meditation courses or anything know what I mean by that. It's a, it's a, a basically a perspective-giving lecture to give you the a perspective around consciousness or around spiritual dimensions from which we then look at life stuff. So that if you've got, um, uh, you're in a, bad business situation or you've got a physical illness or you're, you're doing well but it doesn't feel right or whatever the stuff of your life is, you have a backdrop against which to look at it. That's the usual strategy that I have done. But um, Dharma is in everything and in a way it's, it, the, the reverse of it is to start with the stuff of life and then extrapolate from that outward and sort of see how to use that to awaken. And um, when you say, what am I doing here? You could say, some people said this morning, I'm here to enjoy the water. Some people, I'm here to relax. I'm here to, I'm here to, I'm here to. And those are all what you'd call mid-level motivations. And then you go a little deeper and you say, what am I here? What am I here for? What am I doing? And I think I could give you a reasoned justification for ending up saying, I am here to awaken. Nothing heavy about this, just I am here to awaken. And I think I can give it to you on the basis of if you care about suffering of yourself or others, that's the optimum thing. If you have a sense of the greater mystery of the universe, that's the optimum thing to do. And it's uh, basically, um, I think, keeping in mind that intention, I'm here to awaken, 
that gives an entirely different meaning to every event in your life. Because I'm here to enjoy the water, I'm here to get some sun, I'm here to heal my shoulder, I'm here to hang out with people, I'm here to earn a living, I'm here because Stefan invited me, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, for a thousand more reasons. But it's all part of something else. It's all part of a thing that my life is about, which has to do with becoming more conscious. I, if I follow the sequence through, it would be in order to be an instrument for, to get out of the way, to be an instrument for truth or an instrument for love, or an instrument for presence, or an instrument for God, or an instrument for the overmind, or I can give you a metaphor after metaphor after metaphor after metaphor. It's not my but thy will. It's, a, it's, it's like awakening into the unique part you play in the uh, dharmic stew of life. Now, um, so if I look back over what I did this week, I did fascinating things this week. I could just absolutely intrigue you with the fascination of all the wonderful things I did this week. But that's only one plane of the existence of those phenomena. The other phenomena was, how much did I get lost in the fascination? How much did I lose the meta game because I got caught in the drama of the storyline? Like. Well, if you can see a cloud in the sky, can everybody see a cloud somewhere? Okay, look at that cloud now. And think of that cloud as your life. If it's a long cloud, it might have a birth, a middle, and, and tailing off. Or it might be just a round cloud in which it's all present all at once, but it's your life. It's her or it's him. Now, in, as you are looking at that cloud and seeing your life, and it has thousands and millions of components to it, it has all the feelings and all the memories and all the plans and all of the economics and all the relationships and all of the sufferings and all of the joys, it's all there in that cloud. Now, just to push you a little bit harder, um, you're looking at that cloud from here. And here feels like a very precise place. We're all sitting together on this porch. But now let me explore with you another way of defining who you are. Look at the cloud again and become aware of the sky that surrounds the cloud. And now I invite you to identify your awareness with the sky. And in your awareness, there is your life that is the cloud. Not pejorative cloud, just cloud. In other words, your whole concept of who you think you are, all your sense experiences of your body, the sounds you're hearing now, all of that, all of this stuff of me, is all the cloud. And the cloud is being appreciated or embraced or carried or uh, allowed or by the sky. The sky is just awareness. 
It's much easier to describe the cloud than to describe the sky. The sky doesn't have a beginning or an end, and it really doesn't have qualities. It's just sky. And that's the quality of awareness. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a trip. Sky doesn't have a trip. It's just hanging out. And through the sky are coming clouds and airplanes and birds and this and that. They're all within the sky. When you look up at the sky, there are stars in the sky. They're all within the sky. But the sky just is. Now, what I've just given you is the ground for one of the most advanced spiritual teachings that is now available to us in the West, which is called Dzogchen, out of Tibetan Buddhism. It is basically saying the sky is awareness. You are awareness. Into your awareness arise phenomena. The phenomena arise, they exist, and then they pass on. The phenomena include your thoughts, your senses, your feelings, stuff. Phenomena come and go, awareness is. Awareness has nothing to do with time. It's not coming and it's not going. It isn't born and it doesn't die. It's nothing personal. It's not my sky, it's the sky. It's awareness. It's not my awareness, it's awareness. So just imagine that we're playing a game here of life in which we, we got caught along the way in thinking we were the cloud, as beautiful as it might be, as romantic as it might be, as sensual as it might be. And then at some moment we begin to awaken and we're awakening to the I, not the me, the I, that which sees, that which is, that which embraces, that which, the presence, the awareness, we're awakening to our identity behind the clinging to separateness. That's what awakening is about. And there's only one of it. So when you, when you say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hero Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Of course it's one. There's only one. And you can arrive at it through any religion you want. Except through Buddhism, which says it's really zero. But when you're in one, it is zero. It's only, it only seems like one when you look at it from two. <laughs> If you miss any of those, just let them go, because they come around again in another lifetime or something. Let me first ask, did you understand that example? Did you work with it, the cloud and the sky? Because that is basically, that is a full spiritual practice. If you went out an hour a day and lay on your back and look up at the sky and see the sky as sky and then experience the sky as a mirror of your awareness. So your awareness is the sky now, and then you watch what comes into the sky. And into the sky comes hunger, into the sky comes memories, into the sky comes 
smells, tastes, feelings, thoughts, memories, plans. And they come in and then you just sit with the awareness and then they go or they don't go. And maybe they cover the whole sky so you don't see the sky and you just you think I'm depressed. Depression's great, it fills the whole thing. You know? <laughs> Those are called mind states in one system. So uh, if I were to say, what is my life about? I would say my life is about awareness and becoming or being aware. Because becoming is already a trip in the cloud. I'm getting aware. Another one. I'm washing dishes, now I'm getting aware. It's just another trip. It's another thing you're doing. You're... So I'd say my life is resting in awareness. And into the awareness come phenomena. And some of those phenomena, first of all, I would say, if you want to really play uh, technical, that the only phenomena that arise in your awareness are reflecting your attractions and your aversions. Otherwise, you wouldn't even notice them. You hear that one? That's an interesting one. That's one we, we say, well, it's really out there. Sure, lots of stuff is really out there. But you don't notice it. It's fascinating to see what you notice. You never notice what you're noticing because you're so busy <laughs> noticing it. But if you stand around the corner and watch, it's fascinating to see what you noticed an hour ago. Right. I mean, if, you're in the, if you have a sailboat, when you went down to the water, you notice what make of sailboat, what length, how it's kept, who, how recently it was painted. You noticed everything. Otherwise, you saw a group of boats. Oh, you didn't see anything. You, you tasted the water. You didn't even notice the boat. So when I look at the phenomena that arise, I'm looking at, of course, the projections of my own karma. I'm really looking at a movie that's being projected because not that the stuff isn't out there, but what I'm selecting to see of what's out there is selected by the predispositions of my own bluff whatever it is I bring to this situation. Is this too weird? When it gets too weird, raise your hand and I'll try to backtrack and bring it along. Because otherwise it's just fun to go out, you know, for a while. And then I'll get bored and then you can talk. <laughs> if you feel the need to talk, talk. It's okay. I, can... I teach listening, so I have to listen when you talk. <laughs> Although I'm not really interested in what you're going to say, because I'm not interested in what I say. Because stuff is stuff. It's more clouds. And the awareness is the awareness. I'm not disinterested. That would be another trip. Not interested. As far as I got to a point where I started to say to my friends, people around me all the time, I don't care if I never see you again. And it's funny how many of them got offended. <laughs> you know, and there was nothing personal in it at all. I mean, it wasn't that I... You know, I don't like you. It was just that I don't think they trusted me that I, they, that I meant it. <laughs> I don't know that I trust me either. I mean, I thought I meant it at the time. So into awareness comes all of these phenomena. And you can feel the qualities of attraction or aversion that are involved in them. And I work with lines like... Um, the Tao line, truth waits for eyes unclouded by longing. 
when you desire something, you see only the outward container. I mean, it is absolutely true. If you haven't had that experience, you just go watch your mind for a little while. You'll see it. If you're horny, you see what's makeable. If you're hungry, you see what's edible. If you're tired, you see mattresses. If you, I mean, that's what you see. You don't see flowers when you're tired. You see mattresses. You know? It, your motivation selects your perception. I mean, that's just straight... That, even the Western psychology knows that. <laughs> and they don't know much. <laughs> Ooh. It's going to be one of those kind of weeks. I can see that. <laughs> hmm. So I see clingings and aversions. Like I've had clingings to power. There's most people that grew up feeling inadequate do, which includes everybody here, anyway. <laughs> do you think you don't? You're just defending. <laughs> Even if you were here last week. <laughs> and I've watched, uh, it made me move towards powerful people. Because, and in my mind, in my all the little veils you have in your mind, one of them is righteousness. See? So I think I want to be around powerful people to do more good. Powerful people have access to more energy, so I can do more good. But then I saw that Western thing in my mind of more is better. Very suspect, as is righteousness. And I've watched over the past five years how my whole attitude towards power has changed that I've begun to see people that have power as people that just have a certain karmic trip they have to work out. And it's not necessary to hold power to be an instrument of change in the universe. That's an interesting one. One point Maharaji said, all the money in the world is mine. Can you imagine a more psychotic statement than that? I mean, what, who would have the chutzpah to say a thing like that? All the money in the world is mine. Depends on who you think you are. If he thinks he's the guy in the blanket, it may seem far-fetched. Although maybe not, if you know about his powers. But if you think of him as the sky that contains everything, certainly contains all the money in the world, just more clouds. There was a beautiful Swami, Swami Ram Tirth, who spoke in the United States. He died when he was about, what, 28 or something like that? But he had a great, he went around the United States speaking, and he had one incredible line. He said, a poem, he said, I am without form, without limit, I am beyond space, beyond time. I am in everything. Everything is in me. Everywhere I am. I am the bliss of the universe. I am Sat-Chit-Ananda. Tat-Tvam-Asi. I am that. He's describing awareness. He's describing awareness. 
and Ananda Mai Ma, great, great, great woman saint. Even that's sexist. I shouldn't say woman saint. I don't say man saint. <laughs> A great saintist. <laughs> great, great being. The great beings don't seem to have much sex, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, I don't think of them with much, you know, like. <laughs> that's another conversation. That's, that's the sexual tantra one we do at midnight. Um, Ananda Mai Ma said, um, oh, Swami Yogananda was hanging out with her. And he said to her, uh, Ma, who are you? And she said, before I was born, I'm paraphrasing, she said, before I was born, I was the same. Then I took birth, still I was the same. My parents arranged my marriage, I was the same. And before you now, I am the same. And even later, in the halls of eternity, I shall be the same. Now, just think of yourself that way. Be the sky. I am the same. Clouds come, clouds go. Life experiences come, life experiences go. I am the same. She's saying, I'm not in time. I'm not in space. The predicament for those of us that are in our thinking minds is the thinking mind thinks about things whether they are words or concepts or something. And the nature of something that is not in time and not in space is not a thing. So the very basic identity of yourself you cannot think about. It's like the way a flashlight works. When you shine a flashlight on an object, and then you're shining the flashlight on the object, the flashlight sees this object, then this object, then this object. The one thing the flashlight doesn't see is itself. You don't fly and shine the flashlight on itself. It's the same with awareness. Awareness doesn't see itself. It can only be itself. So I see my life as an experiment in awareness. It is, as Emmanuel says, a curriculum for awareness. Now somebody could say to me, aren't you narcissistic? The world's suffering and all that's going on and you're just busy becoming aware. Well, you've got to understand a couple of things about that. First of all, becoming aware doesn't have much to do with what you're doing from moment to moment. You can be busy helping people and still be becoming aware. It's not an either-or proposition. That's what's called karma yoga. Serving people is a vehicle for becoming more aware. But the deeper meaning for me of the issue is that the quieter my mind gets, the more I see the way in which an agitated mind in its zeal to end the suffering that it can't bear in itself or other, acts in a way that exacerbates suffering, even as it's trying to relieve suffering. What a, a poignant, horrible thing. Because you take somebody that is sick, 
Now, part of their sickness is obviously whatever their physical condition is. But part of their sickness is their separateness in the universe. And I can show you that later if we want to. We'll talk about balance and stuff like that. Now, if I help that person massage them or feed them or something, I'm, I'm helping one part of their suffering. But the way I do that has a lot to do with whether I'm helping the other part of their suffering or not. That is, if I think I am helping you as her or him as an object, and I am the helper, then the whole process between us, while it may be very kind, still distances us from each other as beings divided by the thought form of subject and object. And I, I, I began to see that the only healing for suffering, 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 in other words, the only action that's impeccable in terms of suffering relief on every plane, is that which comes out of the suffering healing itself. And that for you to be an instrument of the relief of suffering means that you as a separate entity have to get out of the way until there is an identity of you with what is, and out of that, if it is appropriate, will come an action that will heal suffering. What I'm talking about is an incredible act of faith. Incredible act of faith. The reason I call it an incredible act of faith is because most people say, I have to do good, or I ought to do good, or I must do good. And I say, could you trust to give up that and see what happens? And say, I'll go into emptiness, and if I am supposed to do good, I'll do good. Most people say, no, I can't trust that. I can't trust that if I give up intention, I will still be good. I think Freud left us to think that if you gave up intention, you'd be bad. I don't think you have to buy that anymore, but I think you might think I'd be indifferent. I wouldn't care. But the interesting question is, if you don't care, what do you do? I think the word don't care is semantically too troublesome. I should disregard that, discard that as a thought form. It leads people on a track of, I don't care. What blows my mind is the line that comes out of Buddhism that says, out of emptiness arises compassion. That is a mind-blowing thought. It says, in effect, that if you would trust enough to let go of your intention to do good, out of the universe would come that action which is in harmony with the way of things in which it would. You would play your part. It's the Taoist idea. I guess a lot of us run our lives by money and banking, like I'm down here having a good time this week, so I'll work to help people next week, or some such thing. But I can see this as as much helping humanity, this very process we're involved in at the moment. When you begin to see how you as an individual are part of the web of awareness, out of which comes the actions and the attitudes and the opinions that make a civilization breathe. And as C.S. Lewis said, you don't see the center because it's all center, and everywhere you are is the center of it, and you're the center. Your thought form is the center of it. 
So what I see is that as long as I'm full of attachment to doing good, as long as I'm afraid of the suffering, as long as I have too many opinions and attitudes, as long as I prefer this to that, I can't clearly see how things are. And if I can't clearly see how things are, how can my action represent that Aikido move, which will be the optimum move to relieve suffering in the universe? That's a really, really deep thought, by the way. Am I, did I lose everybody? Is this too hard? Uh, tell me, tell me if it is, because I mean, I just get off on my own trips. And, am I uh, pushing everybody too hard? Tell me. No. Somebody's saying, I'm not going to say anything, but it stinks. I, mean, <laughs> I don't understand what the hell he's talking about, but it must be me. No, it isn't. It's a conspiracy of psychosis, and you're the only straight one in the crowd. So. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening, and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.